0: Welcome to the Cougar Center Podcast,
1: and here's your host... Talk, looking, coming back, back at the
2: end zone, touchdown Washington State,
1: number four to Gabe Marks, a new Cougar record, and Washington State, two minutes and three seconds away from a three-game conference winning streak.
0: Michael Preston.
1: Our thanks to the Pac-12 Nets for Ted Robinson's call of Gabe Mark's fourth. I can hardly believe that. His fourth touchdown of the game to put the Cougs up 45-35, to and they would ultimately win 45-42, although those last few moments were just a little bit hairy, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but, boy, Ted Robinson and Glenn Parker, <laughs> 3-0 with three straight weeks with the Cougs. Yeah, uh, keep calling the games, guys. That's uh, it's fine by me. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not huge into superstition, but but I've also been wearing the same outfit for three weeks, so take that at face value, I guess. Welcome to the Kook Center Hour. Uh, boy, what a show we got worked up for you today. I mean, uh, pretty darn excellent. Andy Drukarev uh, from Stanford Rivals will be here to join us to talk about the Stanford Cardinal uh, number 8 team in the country. And I can't remember the last time WSU had a top 10 upset. Uh, it must have been a while. Uh, Britton Ransford, uh, our own Britton Ransford, going to join us again. I I can't, I can't. like saying our Britton Ransford. It's very nice to have him on staff now. He's going to talk to us more about the gaudy numbers Luke Falk is putting up and kind of put that in Perspective for us historically uh, with what Mike previous quarterbacks of Mike Leach's system has done, but suffice to say, if Luke Falk is stays healthy and we're assuming stays the starting quarterback for the next uh, two and a half years, he's he's going to shatter every record in the WSU quarterback book. I mean, it, it's it, every single one's going to be put out of reach uh, of some pretty historically incredible quarterbacks. But let's talk about. <laughs> it's becoming my favorite saying it, it really is it's stones that win had him again because you did get up early you did have to hold on to a lead and then at the end of the, that that drive you needed up 38 35 with about six minutes left to go you got the ball back and you needed that drive to take a while You needed that drive to take some time, chew some time up off the clock, and you had to go down and you had to score a touchdown. And they did it. They marched right down the field and scored a touchdown. Gabe Marks had his fourth one on the day, a new Washington State record. Luke Falk threw for over 500 yards in the game and again didn't turn the ball over. WSU's turnover margin is bonkers, thanks in large part to Luke Falk. Keith Harrington fumbled again on Saturday. Luckily, it fell out of bounds, so I adore Keith Harrington. I'm president of the Keith Harrington and Suleiman Hamid fan clubs. But the one thing Keith really needs to fix at this point is holding on to the football, but I'm sure he's working on that every week. But they drove down that field, and they scored when they needed to score. Now, the defense went out and gave up a quick touchdown... And Arizona State had an onside kick to potentially get the ball back to go down and either tie or win the game. But again, give credit to the special teams on that when they gave up a punt return for a touchdown earlier in the day, which again, not awesome. But when that ball took a decidedly good bounce for Arizona, Dom Williams went up and got the football. And the guys out ahead of him blocked for him. And they played that pretty, pretty well. So give them that. But that final drive, again, what's our favorite saying on this show? Stones. It showed stones. How many other previous incarnations of Cougar football just in the last decade or so would have been able to drive down the field in that situation and score a touchdown? Or how many other previous incarnations I guess would be more appropriate to say, did you have the confidence that they were going to drive down the field and score a touchdown? I'm now at a point with this football team where I just assume every time they touch the football on offense, they're going to score a touchdown. Or they're going to get points, at the very least. They're going to find a way to put some points on the board. Now, it's not realistic to think that every time that's going to happen, but that's my assumption every time. It's not like previous seasons where you wondered what was going to happen every time they touched the football. Are they going to have to punt it? Are they going to throw an interception? Are they going to fumble the ball? Are they going to go three and out? Whatever. You just feel that confidence with this offense right now. The way everything's clicking. Scoring 45 points against Oregon State. They scored 45 points. Shalom Luwani scored seven to get them to 52. Scoring 45 points against Arizona scoring again 45 points against Oregon. By the have they scored the same amount of points the last 3 weeks? I'm pretty sure they've scored the same amount of points the last 3 weeks. If we if we take away Shalom Luwani's kick return for a TD, they've scored the same amount of points the last 3 weeks. That's remarkably consistent. So 45 points each of the last three weeks and you can just see this offense clicking you can see Luke Falk finding receivers open he's he's throwing them open now like he wasn't doing earlier in the season he's not taking as much time in the pocket he's scrambling when he needs to some of it sometimes those running backs in the flat are open which is fine and he's getting it to them more often Um, probably the only real area he really, truly needs to improve right now, but that's a minor niggle if I'm really trying to find anything with him. He's getting the ball to his open receivers. He's throwing them open. He's not throwing to them when they are open anymore. Everything about this offense, they're moving the ball so well, and you saw them do that against Arizona. Now, Arizona's defense isn't awesome. And in fact, WSU hasn't really faced a really, really good defense like they will this Saturday against Stanford yet this year. They haven't faced a single one like it. Of course, there might not be one as tough in the conference other than Washington, who of course they'll get in the Apple Cup. But everything about how this offense is clicking and how things are moving, you just have that confidence that every time they step on the field, They're either going to hit pay dirt or Eric Powell's going to split the uprights. And by the way, brief aside, we can complain all we want about the special teams and we have a right to, but Eric Powell has been really good this year. It's like 8 for 11 on field goals. I don't even really count that 50-yarder and Eugene Leach made him try to kick in the rain, in the wind. So I'll I'll even give him 8 out of 10. He's had a really good year, guys, especially after he got pulled so early last year. He's been really good to have and been really dependable. So, I, kudos to Eric Powell this year. He's been excellent. But you feel like they're either going to hit Pater or Eric Powell's going to split the uprights for you. Points are going to be had. This offense is just working like a well-oiled machine at this point. Luke Falk's checking into the runs at the right time. He's getting the defense close to those runs, then throwing it over the top and getting a nice 20-yard gain. And the other thing... Another third and fifteen plus converted on Saturday. You almost feel like there's no down in distance too long for this team. And I you you just you feel like there's just not a distance that they can cover or that they can't cover. Now, granted, would you like them to be in third and more manageable? Y- yeah, duh. I'm absolutely, because they're not going to be able to do it every time. But it just it doesn't feel like that is an insurmountable deficit anymore. An insurmountable amount of yards to overcome for them. And that's when you know this offense is working exactly how it should. That's when you know that this air raid is is finally, it finally looks, <clears throat> excuse me, how Mike Leach wants it to look. He has those athletes. the uh, The wide receivers on this team are just stupidly talented. I, it there there is such a wealth of talent at receiver on this team, it's it's almost unfair to every other team in the conference. I mean, I'll take it. But it and and you have again. I've been saying this all year: Wicks, Morrow, Harrington, the best three headed trio you've had back there since Tardy, Woolrich, and Hutsana. And these guys might be better. And there's still... Two of them are sophomores and one's a freshman. Like, that's insane. And oh, by the way, Luke Falk's a redshirt sophomore. You're going to lose Joe Dahl next year, which is awful. Because he's best left tackle in the country according to some metrics. And you're going to lose a couple more offensive linemen. And you're going to lose Dom Williams for sure. And you're probably going to lose Gabe Marks at this point. If Gabe Marks keeps going like this... He's going to leave for the draft. And I I have no objection. Gabe, you go get your money, big fella. If you think you can get drafted high, I hope you do. Go get your money. But there's so much talent at receiver. I don't want to say it's not going to be difficult to replace a guy like Gabe Marks. Because it's never easy to replace a guy who can pretty much catch anything you throw at him. But it's easier to replace a guy like Dom Williams, who's so dependable, so quick. It's easier to do that with all this talent. And I think we're finally turning the corner again at five and two. And got there in a very weird way, as we've been pointing out all year. There's a very weird feeling, five and two. You're finally getting to that point where you think the talent level on this team is such that You know, you can you can depend on them to go out there and do what they're supposed to be doing. The defense, despite giving up 35 points to Arizona. Looked good, I thought. Made some great tackles in the backfield. And that defensive line, guys, boy, did they continue to just impress. My goodness, are they good. Daryl Polo, Daniel Aquale, Nalu Tapa even a little bit in there, Robert Barber. Hercules Mata'afa is just, besides being on the all-name team, that kid's going to be bonkers good. We're finally starting to see this corner turn with this football team, offensively and defensively. And that is what is important as we head into the biggest game in Pullman, the biggest game the Cougars have played in at least since 2006. Bare minimum since 2006 and probably since 2003. And as Kyle Sherwood is fond of saying, this team controls their own destiny for the Rose Bowl. On October, I'm recording this today on October 27th, but it'll be this way until October 31st at least. They control their own destiny for the Rose Bowl. That is ju- it is a total and complete weird thing to wrap your mind around that this football team could control its own destiny for the Rose Bowl in late October. I thought they were a 5 or 6 win team, so they're on schedule there. And I don't think a lot of people thought they were good for any more than about 8. 8 wins was pretty much the top of what I saw was most folks projecting. I don't think anybody saw this coming. I don't think anybody saw Rose Bowl Destiny and Stanford coming together. Stanford's a hell of a team. They're going to be hard to beat because it is just everything. There's a reason why they're ranked number eight in the country. And it's not because they're not good. Obviously, (laughs) I'm not going to tell you that. So this... The atmosphere in Pullman this weekend needs to be huge. You need everybody's got to be. You got to sell that stadium out. Get out there. I don't care if it's raining like it's maybe supposed to be raining. Nighttime game on ESPN. This this is huge. This is the biggest week of Cougar football, and I don't even know how long. I don't even think I was legally allowed to drive by myself last time there was a week this big in Cougar football. And a team, you you have Goliath literally staring you down. And I don't know if you can say you're David at this point, but you're pretty damn close, aren't you? I don't know that they can go out and beat Stanford. And if they lose this game without looking completely lost and befuddled and getting absolutely waxed, I think you at least consider that a win because Stanford is so physical and they will beat the crap out of you and they have a guy in the backfield who's probably going to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony at the end of the year and if he's not, he should. And he does everything. Kevin Hogan actually looks like a quarterback this year. Christian McCaffrey is just... I, I don't even... i How good he is is just beyond explanation. Francis Owusu can make insane catches. This, a, a win in this game besides being over a top 10 opponent and besides getting you bowl eligible sets a tone I don't think any of us thought we could see when this team was 2-2 two and two coming off a loss to Cal in a game that you were in control of. I don't think anybody could have seen this coming. And if you did, great. Your eternal optimism paid off for once. <laughs> but I don't think you can objectively look at what that team was after 2-2 two and two at Cal and go, yeah, definitely, they were definitely going to rattle off three straight. And be in a position that they are in now. Incredible week this week. Hopefully an incredible Halloween in Pullman. We're going to talk more about the Stanford Cardinal. Preview them. uh, Number eight team in the country. Tough one to beat for anybody, for that matter, uh, when we come back here on the Cook Center Hour. Back here on the Cook Center Hour, we're talking with uh, Andy Drew Karev from the rival site covering the Stanford Cardinal, and uh, Andy. Everybody's got to be pretty happy with how Stanford's done so far this year, outside of just one bad game in Evanston to start the year against a Northwestern team that isn't awful, but you know not really really good either. Uh, number eight ranking, six and one heading into the weekend in Pullman, and. In control of another appearance in the Pac-12 championship game, everything's got to be pretty hunky-dory in Palo Alto
2: are rolling along quite nicely Uh, a lot of criticism a lot of concern after that season opening loss to northwestern especially on the heels of the 2014 season that was probably a little bit disappointing by stanford's recent standards anyway Uh, they did go to a bowl game won eight game but the offense really struggled at times and for them to come back this year after that opening loss and Mm -hmm. really be playing at a very high level especially on the offensive side of the ball i mean one of the best offenses in the country, I think. Has everybody
1: pretty fired up and, and excited about what's going on down on the farm. So David Shaw is really taking this team around with it after John Harbaugh's departure. And I think uh, Kevin Hogan, after a few years of, uh, at least to my observation, kind of looking like an up-and-down quarterback a little bit, he's really found his stride like uh, this year now. Some of that has to do with Christian McCaffrey, who we'll get to in a minute. But what about Kevin Hogan this year is different maybe than previous years?
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, he he was good in 2012 as a lecture freshman. They didn't ask him to do a ton, but he was relatively effective. 2013, you know, still somewhat up and down, but made some big plays in the passing game. And then last year was really, you know, it's hard to know what all went wrong for Stanford's offense. It wasn't just any single thing. But Hogan really struggled in consistent accuracy. Mm -hmm. And then something changed in the last three games of 2014. And Aside from the Northwestern game, when pretty much everyone on the team did not play up to their caliber, he's been really good all year. So this is now uh, the last 10 games, say for Northwestern. He's been playing at a high level, one of the better quarterbacks in the conference. And in the nation, I think it's a combination of things. You know, he really knows the offense. He has that down pat. Last year, what I thought plagued him a little bit is he had a tendency to lock in on a one-receiver, which last year was Ty Montgomery. Mm-hmm. Out. He's not doing that this year. He's really going through his progressions. He's always been a good athlete who can hurt teams with his legs. But just very accurate. Uh, you know, plays within the offense goes through his progression, just does everything Stanford wants its quarterbacks to do. And I think it's fair to say he also benefits from one of the top lines of the conference, like you mentioned earlier, that very potent running attack. So teams do tend to stack the box against Stanford. Also have a good side, has good tight ends and good receivers. But I mean when you look at the numbers, there are not many quarterbacks playing better than Hogan is in this stage in season and It's impressive how he's developed and responded
1: from a tough 2014. Come back to be one of the best quarterbacks in the conference, and I said we'd get to him in a minute, and now is a good time to talk to him because having a guy like Christian McCaffrey can help any quarterback an awful lot. I mean, Stanford has a recent history of good running backs, but Christian McCaffrey, even Toby Gerhardt, he seems to just be blowing everything out of the water with – how good he is, not just running the ball, but catching the ball, returning the ball. Just for those who haven't watched much of him this year, and and you're committing a sin against college football if you haven't, uh, describe for me what makes Christian McCaffrey so good, so effective at what he does.
2: You know, you can't compare him to anybody you've seen on Stanford in recent years. You know, a lot of their running backs before McCaffrey have been kind of in a similar mold. You get on, on the bigger end of it, maybe Stephon Taylor on the smaller end, but, you know, at 6'1", 210, 220 pounds, power back, had some speed but thrived in between the tackles. Christian mm-hmm. McCaffrey does everything well on the football field. I, I honestly believe... I mean, if they needed him to punt, he could pick that up. If they needed him to play quarterback, he dumped some stuff out of the Wildcat. He can probably throw. I mean, he's just a better athlete, better all-around athlete than pretty much anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's for how Stanford uses him. They'll you know, use him in between the tackles. And for a little dude, he's not the biggest back. He, he can run through contact. Uh, You're not know, Toby Gerhardt, I wouldn't say. But he's effective there. But he's excellent vision, excellent patience. Good speed, you know, four or five or so, uh, and, and really quick. I think that's the thing that stands out the most to me is mm-hmm. that combination of vision, so he can see where the hole is, and that just subtle movements to slip through creases that aren't that large. So whereas maybe last year Stanford's running backs would gain four yards on a play, McCaffrey can make it eight. And I think it's been such a big difference, and one of the major reasons the offense is bright this year. And the mm-hmm. other two components of McCaffrey's game. One special team, his dynamic weapon as a kickoff returner and a punt returner, and what he might be most effective. Honestly, is as a receiver in the slot. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, safeties can't cover him, linebackers can't cover him, and he's had a knack for making big plays. Getting, I mean, last game there was two different, like second and twenty type situations, which for Savior's offense, uh, they're not designed to gain thirty yards of pop. no offense is, but. They split McCaffrey out in the slot, had him go against the linebacker, a little five-yard pass, blown mm-hmm. by the defense, and it's a first down. So he, he just, he does everything well, and you uh, know he, he has a lot going for
1: him. Has he been dealing with, I know you're around the team, you go to practice and you're at press conferences. Has there really been any talk with him uh, now seven games into the season about the Heisman Trophy? Is he handling any pressure from that? fairly well, or has it really been something that they've tried to keep away from him in terms of the talk about the possibility of him being a Heisman candidate? Yeah, it's interesting. Stanford's a recent history with the Heisman is a little bit...
2: They're a little bit scarred, I think is the right word. They had three straight second-place finishes. I mean, I don't know if any program can claim that. In 2009, I think Garrett probably should have won it. Then you had Andrew Luck finishing up the runner-up to Cam Newton... You know, probably deserved it that year, and then mm-hmm. a very tight battle with Robert Griffin III uh, in 2011. So when you ask David Shaw about it, I mean, <laughs> he he doesn't really discuss it much. You know, yeah. you ask him, you know, so uh, what do you think about a Crackers chase with the Heisman? And he, he he kind of you know lighthearted, but kind of blows it off. Doesn't really want to talk about it. You know, I think it's partially because right, it's early. This is McCaffrey's first year with a major role, so why Mm. give it more steam? I also do think they're kind of scarred by those previous uh, instances. You know, McCaffrey was asked about it after the Washington game last weekend, and he said, yeah, he hears the noise, but he doesn't let it bother him too much, or not bother, that's not the right word, affect him too much. But one thing about McCaffrey, even though he's a sophomore, this guy has been around football, he's been around media. His dad, Ed McCaffrey, played in the NFL for 12 years. Yep. Christian's incredibly mature for a sophomore, incredibly mature. So it, He's been on the big stage for a really long time. So I think that, in a sense, compared to maybe another sophomore in another program, another person getting the first extended run in spotlight of his career, it's just a deal. I think Christian's handling it fine.
1: Oh, God, he's a sophomore. Oh, God. Uh. <laughs> I forgot about that and now I'm having fever dreams. Okay, Uh, let's talk about the Stanford offensive line a little bit because I I think, as you've noted, a lot lot of the success of Stanford over the years has had to do with how physical of a team they can be up front. They're not kind of conforming to what college football is these days which is more passing oriented as Washington state is, they're going to pound you right in the mouth uh, an awful lot with their very big physical offensive line. Hogan will go over the top some when he gets the opportunity to obviously, but uh, just compared to years past, how is this offensive line for Stanford stack up pretty much where we'd expect a little worse, a little better kind of about where on the scale for you.
2: Yeah, well, before answering that, you know, you talk about Stanford being different than other programs. There's a good chance you'll see short yardage or goal or whatnot a formation, they'll bring out eight offensive linemen. they'll bring out a fullback, a tight end, a quarterback, and a running back, and that's it. It's how you talk about throwback. But to answer your question, this is one of the better Stanford offensive lines. I've seen, and Christian McCaffrey, I think it goes kind of both ways to a certain extent. They make Christian McCaffrey look good, and the one game, Christian McCaffrey makes them look good. Uh, It's much better than Stanford's line was last year, much better. It's a senior leading group. You have seniors, uh, or fourth-year players, a few of them redshirted, four of the five positions. Mm -hmm. Fourth-year players, the other one's a sophomore, the right tackle. Uh, these guys all came in together in the 2012 recruiting class. They've played along the, alongside one another for years. They've gelled. Uh, they have given up a few sacks. I think when you compare it historically, Stanford gave up like six sacks in 2009 and 2010. So they're not quite as stingy in that regard and pass protection. But mm-hmm. so we'll, we'll say Andrew Luck had a knack for avoiding sacks. Right. Probably better than, than most. So I wouldn't say they're quite at that level, but man, it's... I mean, just as far as run blocking and overall effectiveness, it's got to be up there with any Stanford line I've seen. Mm -hmm. I think David DiCastro, uh, Washington W. High grad, is probably still the best lineman I've seen at Stanford in the last decade. But as a group, this one compares pretty well to some of Stanford's previous lines, and some of those had four NFL players on it. I wouldn't be surprised if this group eventually yielded that as well. So I guess the, the short answer is it's really good. I think it's the best in the conference, at least that I've seen. One mm-hmm. of the best nationally. I'm not sure we can put it at that same level of 2010, 2011 quite mm-hmm. yet. Uh, but as the season progresses, if they continue to play at a high level, by uh, season's then they might be up there.
1: Let's talk about the defense a little bit uh, as well. I think all obviously contributing to Stanford being six and one at this point, but. Again like we talked about with the offensive line not the Stanford defense we're kind of used to seeing in the past I think even more so they're not rated quite as highly on SP with football outsiders uh, what's the difference with the Stanford defense this year just a lack of experience and I know Shane Scove's no longer on the team but um, just a lack of experience or you know young guys along with that what's different this year for that Stanford defense compared to years past?
2: Yeah, well, we spent with well, the last 10 minutes I've been gushing about Stanford's offense. There are some <laughs> concerns on the de- defensive side of the ball, and the reason I think is pretty simple. They lost nine starters from last year's team yeah. to the NFL, including Henry Anderson, a fifth-year senior who's now an NFL Rookie of the Year candidate. Uh, David Perry, their nose tackle who's starting in Indianapolis as a rookie. You go to the secondary, Alex Carter, third round pick, Jordan Richards, second round pick, Zach Hoffpower now playing professional baseball, the linebacking clerks, AJ Tarkley on the Bills roster. I mean you just James Waters and Green Bay on the practice squad. I mean it just goes on and on of NFL caliber defenders that are no longer in the program. So it's the combination of like, a lot of talent left and a lot of the replacements are first-time guys. There is more use than you're used to seeing out of Stanford. Uh, so that's, I think, the first thing is just the talent. I mean, it was unbelievable from 2012 to 2014. Stanford's mm-hmm. still one of the better defenses in the country, but they don't have NFL players at essentially every position. Like they, they literally have that <laughs> You know, in yeah. 2012, 2013. Uh, the other part of it, you know, the depth isn't great right now. They, they really have three defensive linemen they trust it's kind of works because they play a lot of nickels so they can get those guys rest. Uh, the, the back end, I think, is more susceptible than it has been in years past. Mm-hmm. The corners are good. The safeties, is uh, not great. Both of them are actually converted offensive players. Mm-hmm. So there are some holes in the stand for defense, specifically the safeties haven't been great, and the pass rush, which, you know, which is kind of interesting to me because they do have some athletic future NFL types up front, but for whatever reason... They haven't really generated a consistent pass rush this year, haven't really uh, amassed a lot of takeaways either. Mm-hmm. So those will be some of the areas of concern for Stanford, and all of those will, of course, uh, come into play on, on Saturday against the Cougars. So uh, you know, whether they can get a consistent pass rush and how that back end, that secondary, it's three first-time starters this year, or if you include the nickel position, really. Uh, so they'll be tested by obviously a potent Cougar offensive
1: and you mentioned some struggles on the back end for uh, Stanford's defense. Uh, and obviously, anytime you're going in to face an offense like the one Washington State has, that's probably not the uh, most comforting thing for Stanford fans, maybe. Have they faced, I know they've played Arizona, took care of them pretty easily. They played UCLA, took care of business there as well. Freshman quarterback Josh Rose and Arizona's offense has kind of been up and down. Are, are they prepared well? to face a passing offense like Washington State this year? Because as we're going to talk about with Britton Ransford here in a little bit, the passing has just been absolutely prolific with Luke Falk. Is that something that gives uh, them a little bit of worry going into this weekend?
2: Yeah, I don't think there's any question. It it does. It's kind of unbelievable when you look at the quarterback stance that's faced. I don't recall another year where they've played so many inexperienced freshman and first-time starter.
0: Mm-hmm. So, just
2: quickly to take you through it. The CTO opener against Northwestern was a redshirt freshman making the first start of his career. Uh, then UCF, where their starter got hurt, so they played a freshman and a redshirt freshman, I believe. USC was the one exception, really Cody Kessler. Uh, obviously been around forever. Uh, and then, you know, going from there, Arizona, uh, I knew Solomon was hurt. So they played Gerard Randall, who I think that was his first start. Not, he can't throw. I mean, you know, Washington State saw him a little bit last week. He's the most yeah. inaccurate starting quarterback in the conference. Uh, UCLA, Josh Rosen, true freshman. Uh, Washington, the Jake Browning, their freshman starter was hurt. So you had KJ Carter Samuel making the first start of his career. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody in here, but you know, that's kind of what it's been. It's just first-time starter after first-time starter. and yeah. Absolutely, I mean. You know, Cody Chester's pretty good. You know, Josh Rosen, I think, even though he's young, he's good. But Bach might be the best quarterback Stanford seen this year. They might be the best one they see all season. And when you consider the fact that they are so young on the back end still, I think they've gotten pretty good play out of their corners. Ronnie Harris is a fifth-year senior who's one of the best in the conference. Elijah Holder is a right freshman that has been playing well. But just that safety position – there have been some missed tackles, which will obviously kill you against you like Washington State. You have mm-hmm. to tackle on the back end. Uh, First time starter is not maybe the athleticism that Stanford safeties have had in the past. That would just be kind of that concern. It's the combination of youth in the back end, maybe a lack of, uh, compared to previous years anyway, athleticism at the safety position. And yeah, they, they have not seen a passing attack like the one Washington State will present on Saturday.
1: So let's talk about Saturday, in fact, in Pullman, Halloween, primetime. Well, primetime on the West Coast anyway, Uh, 10.30 Eastern on the East Coast. I know some of our editors have to stay up rather late to watch this entire game. Uh, Andy, give me a rundown on how you think Saturday's uh, going to go for Stanford. I mean, obviously, number eight team in the country. They're number eight in the country for a reason. It's because they're an incredibly good football team. Uh, Like you said, facing an offense maybe like they haven't seen all year defensively, but their offense, uh, excellent as well, facing a not-so-good defense. So uh, just a prediction on how you think Saturday is going to shake out uh, on the Palouse uh, for everybody involved on the gridiron in Martin Stadium.
2: Yeah, I think it'll be different than the last few years. The one thing that Stanford was really able to do and, you know, aside from the fact that Washington well, State's offense is better this year, obviously Stanford dominated up front. I mean, you almost felt bad for Kyler Halliday and some of those two quarterbacks. I mean, 2013 they knocked like Stanford off. I think two or three out of the game at least for stretches. But the pass rush was just so vicious, and, and that's not going to be the case this year. Uh, so that, that's a big difference, and I do think you know the, the short answer to your question is lots of points. Yeah. That's kind of how I see it playing out. Uh, on the other hand, Stanford's offense is better this year than it was last year. So when you have uh, better offenses and Stanford's defense is a bit more susceptible, I, you know I, I would imagine both teams will score at least thirty. I do think you know I've been racking a bit on Stanford's defense, not the intent, obviously, but just you know, kind of describing the fact that they aren't right, what they were last year. Mm-hmm. It's still a good unit; they still have a lot of good players. They still have a lot of experienced players, especially up front. Fifth-year senior linebacker Kevin Anderson could be returning this week from an injury that's kept him out. So they have good players. They're well coached. They have a good scheme. You know, they're they're going to come in prepared for Washington State. I think the Cougars will score. Ultimately, I think Stanford puts up a few more points. They'll choose some clock with their running game Mm -hmm. to keep the defense relatively fresh. Something along the lines of, I don't know, 45 to 37, 45, 34. That's kind of how I envision it. I do think Stanford will win. Uh, But it'll be close. It'll be tight in a raucous environment. Uh, full of Washington State fans at Martin Stadium. It'll be a
1: good one. College students in Pullman on Halloween causing trouble. Well, I don't know anything about anything like that. Andy Drew- <laughs> Andy Dutra from Stanford Rivals joins us. Thank you very much, sir. So nice to find out about the Stanford Cardinal and a very excellent year for them. Uh, thanks for having me. Britton Ransford's coming up next here on the Cook Center Hour. Stick around. Back here on the Kook uh, Center Hour, and it's very cool to say that now he's ours and he's nobody else's. You can't have him. Uh, Britton Ransford of KookCenter.com joins us. Uh, that's a nice little title change, isn't it, Mr. Ransford?
2: I do like it. From unemployed blogger to uh, to, to writer for Kook Center. I like blogger, too, because then you can kind of do your own thing. I had to be a little uh, politically correct and a little unbiased when I was running the other side, so this is a lot more fun uh,
1: If you're a blogger too, you can like sit in a Starbucks and write things next to people who are doing screenplays. So it actually works out really well for you. Not that you want to go to Starbucks in Seattle, but you can sit in a coffee shop and write screenplays with people too.
2: I'm growing a beard out, so and then I wore a beanie yesterday, and I'm kind of getting that whole blogger thing done.
1: God, you are God! You're transforming from Mister Wenatchee to Mister Seattle. Um, (laughs) so Britain, I this guy, uh, this Luke Falk kid. Um, okay. you wrote a piece on him uh, on Monday and I want to talk about that a little bit more because I I think right now it's just not something that we can fully appreciate just how good Luke Falk is but just putting it from the historical perspective for me, not from WSU but from Mike Leach's quarterbacks uh, through seven games this year, he's pretty much on par with what a lot of folks kind of think of as the best game or best season in the air raid's history, isn't he? Uh, he's
2: pretty close. I mean, BJ Simons had a ridiculous year in 2003, I believe. He threw for like almost 5,900 yards and 52 touchdowns, both um, NCAA records at the time. Now, uh, I think the 52 touchdowns is third. But I mean, it, when you're looking at the top three seasons, but as a Mike Leach quarterback, or any Mike Leach quarterback, I mean, you look at the NCAA record boards, it's littered with Texas Tech quarterbacks. And then even going back to his time at Oklahoma with Heupel and um, Couch at Kentucky, it, it's all Leach quarterbacks. So I thought it would be fun to kind of look at um, where that all stands because when you're looking at Leach quarterbacks, you're kind of looking at um, the best quarterbacks from a statistical standpoint of the quarterback position. And, and he's on par with the three of the best seasons um, that any of Mike Leach quarterback has had. You look at uh, Simons' 2003 year, which I talked about, and then Harrell in 2007, 2008. 2008, he was a Heisman candidate. And, uh, Luke Falks on pace to, to just basically match Harrell's 2008 numbers where he was fourth in the Heisman voting.
1: So uh, the, he had something like, what was it, like 48 touchdowns and I think only seven or eight interceptions that entire year. The one thing that Luke Falk doesn't do is turn the ball over. He's got four interceptions at this point, more than halfway through the year. So just try to put it through your mind that, or try to summarize how just insane that it is that this redshirt sophomore, former walk-on, is doing what a senior did in the air raid. I mean, it's just completely incomprehensible that he's doing this. Well, if
2: you look at it this way, I mean, he's on pace to set the NCAA record for attempts in a season that 719 Simon set that in 2003 and then he's also on pace to throw the fewest interceptions a Mike Leach quarterback has ever thrown while throwing the most passes in a season completing the most too on pace to set an NCAA record for completions and set a throw for 72.8% completion percentage which would be the best for a Leach quarterback so you're looking at a guy that's throwing more than anyone has ever thrown under Mike Leach and more accurately not giving the ball away it's Pretty insane. I mean, no other college quarterback—just Cliff Kingsbury in 2001 and Graham Harrell in 2008 threw for under 10 picks. No one else threw for fewer than 11. I think 2007 season Harrell threw for 14,
1: and that was probably his best year. So, I mean, you look at it, it, what what Luke Falk's doing, especially in tactical play, um, it, it, it's pretty ridiculous. So, not only is he not throwing picks, and he's attempting a lot of passes, he's completing a lot of passes. We can move away from the passing for a moment because what he's also doing is something that you really need to do in the air raid, which is check into the run at the right time. He's he's doing a great job, and I think opening up the field a little bit more for himself by using the run, not necessarily more than Connor Halliday, although he is doing it more, but probably more effectively than Halliday did. Absolutely
2: more effectively. I think early, especially last year when they. They first started when he came in for those last three, four games, and, and then early this year, it almost seemed predictable when they were going to run. And, and as we've seen, the, the offense start to move a lot better. He's gotten a lot better at checking those runs at, at the right time. I mean, especially I think one of them that stands out to me was that uh, fourth down call, fourth and one against Oregon, mm-hmm. and I think it might have been the first overtime where um, he handed off outside to, to Jamal Moro, and I was sitting there saying, "Run, run, run, run!" And I thought for sure they're going to try to throw another one of those fades. And, um, I think that was just another another example of um, his maturity within this offense, learning how it goes. And um, I think as, as he goes, this offense goes, and it's clear that he's picking it up a lot quicker than most of other leeches. Um, former quarterbacks have.
1: And to give some credit where credit's due, as well to uh, the offensive line, because we've talked about uh, how good they are, and I think if you just look at the raw sack numbers, they don't look great. But probably the better way to to uh, evaluate the offensive line is by yards or uh, sacks per dropback. So how many dropbacks does it average in between sacks? And these guys are up there, so that is helping Luke Falk throw these receivers open and find him some yards too.
2: Yeah, I mean, it helps when you have uh, the number one rated pass blocker by PFF Um, and uh, Joe Dahl on the left side, I mean, walks up blindside for him. He doesn't really have to worry about that left side much with that when they're doing so. Um, it, yeah, you're going to have sacks. I mean, if you're dropping back 70 times a game, there's going to be times where something breaks down. It's, it's hard especially at this level to be perfect and then when you're, when you're dropping back so many times it, it, it's uh, you got to look at those big guys up front that, that are a huge huge um, part of how this offense is started to move. You
1: know, we talked earlier about the fact that Luke Falk's a redshirt sophomore and if he's going to be having a season as good as Graham Harrell's last season and up there with B.J. Simon's best season, not quite as record-breaking as his maybe, but it kind of becomes hard to project what he's going to do as a junior or senior, isn't it? Because you don't want to say he's going to do better than be an NCAA record-breaking quarterback because it's kind of hard to do that year in and year out. But it's also kind of hard for to not think that he's going to keep getting better and continue to throw for more yards and more touchdowns and just look more, even more comfortable than he already is in this offense? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's astonishing.
2: I mean, when I was looking at the numbers and when it was all kind of coming through my calculator, it, I, my job was dropping. I mean, it, it all started, though, a lot last year. Um, we truly got this offense going with, with uh, Connor Holliday. He was on pace to throw for 5,800 yards and 48 touchdowns in 12 games. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, if he didn't get hurt, I mean, he was on pace to set those records, and then you'd be looking at Luke Falk being on pace with Connor Holiday. so, um, it, but if you're looking forward, I mean, he's got two years left, and most of these guys, especially 90% of Leach's quarterbacks, it looks like, um, were red-shirted, and so they all have their best years as seniors, um, a lot of those guys sat behind and then um, played as a red senior, and so, um... There's a scary, the scary possibility that he can just get a lot better. Um, there's a you got to be, be aware if you're on the top of those uh, those NCAA passing records. <laughs> uh, Luke Falk's
1: doing some crazy stuff. We've I've heard this chatter a little bit to Britain, and it's that you know if he continues to do this, does he get some Heisman chatter? Does he get a little chatter for the Heisman? I don't think it happens this year. Next year is a possibility, but part of the problem, the not a, really a problem with the air raid, but it is when you talk to reporters and the people who vote for the Heisman is they view it as not necessarily a gimmicky offense, but it's one that inflates quarterback numbers, which it obviously does. So air raid quarterbacks typically don't kind of get that Heisman love. I mean, Graham Harrell, I think had the highest uh, ever finish for an air raid quarterback and he finished fourth in the Heisman voting in 2008. So although Luke Falk's numbers are gaudy and although in terms of passing he might be the best quarterback in the country, it's going to be hard to overcome that probably until his senior year in terms of Heisman voting, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I mean when you look at uh, Graham Harrell's um, fourth place finish in 2008, they won 11 games that year and so if you're going to get those Heisman votes. Um, a lot of the time, it comes with a, a winning program, and um, I think the last guy to win out a few, a few of uh, wins. I think mean, how many did uh, Robert Griffin third have? Like seven or eight wins? Yeah, it
1: wasn't a lot. It was they single digits. I can't
2: remember. Yeah. And, um, he ran. I mean, a similar type of offense. Um, they they run it a lot more, and he was, he was he used his legs a lot more. But um, it, yeah, it'll be tough. I mean, I if he goes out and beats Stanford this weekend, throwing for four hundred yards and five touchdowns there's going to be chatter. I mean, it's going to be chatter. Whether they'll vote for him, I mean, that's a different story. And I don't think this year that he's going to find himself in the top 10 just because I don't think the 9-10 win mark that you're going to need as an area quarterback is going to be there. Mm-hmm. But that's something in the future that, I mean, if he gets better, there's going to they're going to have to, like, if he's throwing for 5,900 yards, and this is ridiculous, and, but if he's throwing for that much, like a DJ Simon's year breaking those records, you have to put
1: him in there regardless of, um, the offense, I think he's got two, I, I, I just, I, I'll leave you with this. I shudder at the fact that he's got two more years to get better in this offense than he already is to run it better. And I think, like I said earlier on the show, he's going to lose Joe Dahl to graduation. He'll lose Dom Williams to graduation. I think he loses, uh, one other offensive lineman. I can't remember who to graduation Gabe Marks probably will be entering the NFL draft. Uh, Be My assumption is draft grade will be pretty high. But outside of that, I mean, he he gets basically everybody back again, including his running back. So there's no reason to believe outside of a tremendous mental degradation on his part that he's not going to continue to just bomb it in this offense. And that has to be scary to think about if you're anybody in the Pac-12 North or, for that matter, South, that the four teams, the – WG plays here, it's scary for anybody who has to be playing them uh, in this offense.
2: Yeah, I found it. Um, I, I, I thought Rich Rod's comments after the game on uh, Saturday were uh, pretty revealing to, to how well this offense is going. You said they, did, they didn't do anything different. They just sat back there and dropped and we couldn't stop it. I mean, when this offense is cooking, that's exactly what every single coach can say. Um, they, they do lose the left side of their line, and um, I think the coaching staff is pretty pretty excited about the kids they have back there. I mean, to have 20 guys on scholarship on the offensive line, is pretty um, big and being able to, it, they're one of the three teams in the Pac-12 that have started just their same five starting offensive linemen um, every game this year. And it sounds like Oregon state's going to have to break in a new left tackle. So they will be one of two on with Stanford. So um, I think the offensive line is going to be in fine shape, um, especially as, as, as they get a whole nother year to sit back and, and grow and uh, learn that kind of system. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a scary, scary thought for opposing defensive coordinators, especially with the, the receivers and the running backs and everyone that comes back. And, um, yeah, I'm excited for it.
1: coog Centers. Britton Ransford. He's ours. You can't have him joining us on the Coug Center. Thanks, big guy. Thanks. Come back. Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael anything time. I got a good one. It's kind of game day related, but not really here on the cook Center. Hour. Dunderhead of the week time, Uh, and this is, I swear to God, this is the, we haven't even talked about game day the whole show, isn't that nice? We're going to kind of talk about it right now, because this kind of gets into my Dunderhead of the week thing. And it goes out to multiple people, because I saw after, I'm not going to talk about anything about how the decision was made, I'm not going to talk about any of that crap, anything that went into that. I'm not going to speculate as to why they went to Philadelphia, I'm not going to do any of that. What I'm going to say is that the the people who have been saying, both uh, on the Cook Center comments and on Twitter, go out and make ESPN pay for not bringing game day to Pullman by beating Stanford. Make them pay for it. Make them regret not coming here. Um, guys. ESPN's broadcasting the game. At 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern Time on... ESPN, it's their flagship network. They're they're not gonna regret it if Washington State wins. They'll they'll be making plenty of money and they'll get a higher rating out of it. Game Day uh Game Day doesn't really care about a game that happens ten and a half hours after their show's done. So yeah, you know. ESPN's going to get a lot out of it if Washington State goes and beats Stanford anyway. Okay, the game's on their flagship network. So, WSU winning is not necessarily revenge for them choosing to go to Philadelphia. Like, at all. They're going to make money off this either way. And I would also say that, you know, nobody's really thinking about game day ten and a half hours after it ends when WSU and Stanford kicks off. Had that been an earlier game, like a noon game or something like that, yeah, okay, maybe they might be thinking about game day, but... The, the best revenge for game day is not going to be WSU winning the game. I don't think there's really any revenge you can get for game day not coming to Pullman for whatever reason. If WSU wins, they're going to beat Stanford, and it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be the most wonderfulest thing to happen to this football team in a long time. And I hope and that's motivation enough for them. Trust me, these these guys, this, this group of players, this is, that's motivation enough for them. Not only being bowl eligible, but beating a ranked team, and being in charge of the North, and being in charge of going to the Rose Bowl... Yeah, that's enough for them. No revenge needed. Ask Michael anything. Let's do it. Ask Michael anything. Any questions you can ask me every week here in the Cook Center are going to be about anything. Uh, from at Boyd Wonder, Chris Boyd, what is Hotline Bling? Song Drake put out. I know they're doing a bunch of dank memes with it. Is that what the kids are saying dank memes. Is that a word? I have no idea. Uh, the Go Cougs might have WSU beat Stanford. Will the national media be discussing Luke Falk for Heisman? Like we just talked about with Britain, probably not. Takes a lot to get, you know, up there for a for a uh, air raid quarterback, and it's just it's really hard to do that for them. So very very tough to do, and probably too high of a pyramid decline at the martin party defend pullman luke falk was a football player for halloween rich rod was a shrubbery what costumes would you pick for other pac 12 people i think i'd send todd graham as the angry dwarf from snow white (laughs) he's so little he's so angry all the time uh that's that's really the only creative one i've really got uh chris peterson would probably just go as uh plain yogurt. He's just very bland. Can you imagine like a big like yogurt bowl strapped around Chris Peterson? It's just like plain yogurt. That'd be kind of funny. At Go Wazoo Timbers brown liquor yes or absolutely? Absolutely yes. Brown liquor's always wonderful. It's just it's always a wonderful choice to have brown liquor. At Aaron Pulvoy, is it pronounced gif or jif? It's pronounced gif. It's a hard G. It's a hard G. It's not jif. It's not freaking peanut butter. It's a gif. Okay? That's what it is. Tough nookies. Stanford, 35. Washington State, 31. Stanford's just way too good on offense and defense, guys. And I think it's going to be really close. Down to the end, but WSU's almost there. Just not there quite yet, but 5-3 and three going into your last four games with three very, very winnable games and at least another one against UCLA that you get a chance in. That's a really good position to be in. We'll talk to you next week. Hopefully, I'm wrong, and we have a very giddy koop Center hour next week. Chat with you guys then.